You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Brad Fraschilla has been a college basketball analyst at ESPN for almost 20 years. Like a lot of analysts, he came from a coaching background. He was a head coach at Manhattan, at St. John's in New Mexico after a lengthy career as a uh, as an assistant coach, and he has a 176 and 99 career record as a head coach, but he's gained probably far more attention with his coverage of college basketball and especially international basketball. He's the expert on international players, helping ESPN inform fans about the young players all over the world who likely will be drafted by NBA teams. He's also a regular color analyst on Big 12 basketball games, which is where he and I first got connected. Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. David, it's a pleasure. Um, look forward to talking some uh, basketball with you today, for sure. Yeah, it's it's never too early to talk college <laughs> basketball. So. I don't have a season. I don't have a season. I My season is 12 months a year, so yeah. we're in college football, but I'm still in basketball mode. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so let me start with this. How did you get into coaching? Because, you know, we've, we've talked face-to-face. You don't exactly look like a college basketball coach. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're highly know. challenged, as Joe Lenardi likes to say. Now I could now I can I can throw out to you like Mike Fratello, uh, uh, Roy Massimino, Rick Pitino is probably a little taller. Yeah. Tom Izzo, Tom Izzo, and I are nearly the same size. But I think I think the characteristic of all those guys is we were all at one point young players who were usually the shortest guy in the court and uh, and sometimes the whitest guy in the court from where I grew up in New York and and that that kind of challenged me to be. Uh, you know, smart, if you will, uh, aggressive, competitive, and those kind of characteristics really do carry over, you know, uh, um, uh, to coaching. And and I knew at about the age of 13 or 14, growing up in uh, the borough of Brooklyn in New York City, as we chatted earlier, uh, I was a former high school competitor of the great Orlando Blackman. Um, but seriously, I think I, I always have had coaching in my blood, whether I was, even when I was playing in high school, I knew I wanted to be a college basketball coach. So that that dream was fulfilled. And then it took me to, you know, the next part of my career, which I know we'll get into. Sure. Um, were you a good player? You know, I was a I was a I was a late bloomer. I played I played I was a baseball player. I was a, a I guess you could say an all city baseball player in New York okay. City. Um, I can't even remember now. Um uh, you know, I remember. I remember one time my boys, who are now grown, said to me, "Dad, you were all city." I didn't even realize it. They went back and checked Google, you know. And uh, but I was more of a baseball player. But I took a love to a, a liking to basketball at, at the age of thirteen or fourteen. I didn't. I I played on a good high school team. I got better after high school, and I didn't even play in college. Um, I could have played. I easily could have played at the Division three school where I went, which was Brooklyn College. But ironically, my freshman year of college, my high school varsity basketball coach who coached me offered me the JV job as a college freshman. He said, don't worry about the teaching and I'll have somebody supervising practice um, for safety reasons, um, yeah. but you but you can coach the team. So I became a high school junior varsity coach at the age of 19. And by the time I was 21 as a senior in college, I was a an assistant coach at a division two school in New York, New York tech. And ironically enough, by this time I knew I was going to be a college coach somewhere, shape or form. And my senior year at Brooklyn college, um, the team I helped coach New York tech is the first year, first or second year of ESPN, David. And we actually went to the national championship game of division two. 
and the game was on ESPN. I think we lost to Virginia Union, which was a power, you know. Uh, I think Charles, Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley. I think Ben Wallace, too, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And so, um, and I and I became a, I became the youngest assistant coach in Division One the next year at the University of Rhode Island. So, I, I worked hard to I worked although I loved playing and I became I actually became a very good player in, in my late teens, early twenties. Um, I, I was on the coaching track already. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I have to ask you if you grew up in in high school in Brooklyn. Did you yeah. ever play in the Newsday Classic, the the game that against the the best of New York City against the best of Long Island? Did you ever play no, in that? No, I, well, I wasn't good enough, honestly. Like when I when I came out of high school in our district, I mentioned Roe Blackman, uh, Vinny Johnson was another guy. You know, went yeah. on had a long career. Albert King, younger brother of Bernard, who was a great yeah. player. These guys, these were the guys that were you know yeah. in my district. These are the guys I was. I, I didn't have to guard those guys because they were all bigger guys. But, uh, you know, I the beauty of growing up where I grew up is I grew up in a hotbed of basketball. Yeah. And so uh, I, I I had that love of the game from, you know, from, I don't know, probably, like I said, the age of 13. I knew, even though I was a better baseball player, basketball was my true love, really. I've got a list of, and, and I'm actually working on a book um, of the top 10 sporting events I've been to in person. And my idea is to get yeah. broadcasters and journalists who cover things on a national basis to give me their top 10. And then nobody cares what mine is, but I yeah. figured I had to put my yeah. list together. If I'm writing the book, it's got to be part of my introduction. Yeah. And number one, I was at the Pine Tar game. Uh, oh, wow. num number yeah. two, and that just, that just kind of happened. It was my wife's birthday. And, and that, that spring, I asked her what she wanted to do. We were living in New York at the time. And I asked her what she wanted to do. And she said, let's see who the Yankees are playing. Yeah. Like, who yeah. are you and what have you done with my wife? But uh, <laughs> we went there. She was pregnant with our son who tells all his friends he was at the Pine Tar game, but he doesn't remember much about it. Um, and number two was the 2014 American League wildcard game, the Royals and the A's. Number three was the 1983 Newsday Classic. Wow. Wow. And the team that New York City put out there uh, – Mark Jackson, no, Mark Jackson was the off guard. The backup point guard was Kenny the Jet Smith. Yeah, yeah. Because I, the the starting point guard, you got to guess. Well, I should know this because that was a uh, boys and girls was, high school. Oh, so it was Pearl, Pearl, Pearl yeah, Washington. Three of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I knew. Yeah. I watched them all. I watched them all in high school, and. Uh, I, I knew them all well, not not personally. I got to, I've got to know some of those guys since. Obviously, Pearl's no longer with us, but uh, yeah, uh, you, you mentioned all those guys. I'm thinking of Bishop Lachlan High School, Mark Jackson, Archbishop Malloy, and of course, boys and girls. And uh, I remember that well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to guess the I'm going to guess the Pine Tar game was like '85, maybe '83, '83. So it was the same year. Okay. Yeah, and and you know the Newsday Classic was just. Somebody said, hey, we're, the New York City is going to wipe the floor with, with the Long Island players. Um, New York City also had Derek Chivas playing on the wing and yep. Olden Polonese who played at Virginia. Sure. Um, and, and I can't even remember all their bigs that they had, but everybody expected, you know, Pearl Washington was legendary at that point. Yeah. And Long Island team had one future Division One player, played at Providence, under Rick Patino, oh, Billy Donovan, 
Billy Donovan at St. Yeah, Anthony's who, High School. Who was probably 25 pounds heavier at the time than he was when he graduated from Providence. Yeah, yeah. He was a, I tell people agree. he was just this chubby little yeah. point guard that was boundless energy. And yeah. the, the thing about it is New York City won 153-152 in triple overtime. Wow. When Pearl Washington brings the ball up court, crosses half court, gets triple team because everybody in the place knew that he was going to shoot and score. Yeah. And he goes up and finds Polonese under the basket for the for the layup as the buzzer sounds. That's cool. It's a, a classic. Yeah. Oh, coach, we could do this all day long. I want to talk more about you yeah. <laughs> rather than my than my uh, memories. You had a lot of good assistant coaching positions. What was your favorite? Oh, gosh, you know, the journey is every part of the journey is my, has been a favorite. You know, that's I know that's cliche to say, but uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without all these different coaches influencing me. But, um, you know, I spent I spent six years in Athens, Ohio, Ohio University. It's it's a gem of a college town. It's a great place. I was with a guy named Danny Nee, who wound up having a lot of success in Nebraska. And he was my he was my first mentor, really. Um, he had been a former Digger Phelps assistant coach, came to Ohio U. He's a Brooklyn guy and dragged me out to the Midwest where I just fell in love with, uh, you know, the Midwest. And uh, and uh, he, Danny fired me five times, but he hired me six. You know, that's the kind of mentor he was. He was an ex-Marine. He was very tough on me. He really was my main mentor. I, I wound up working for Gary Williams, who was phenomenal at Ohio State, and then Rick Barnes, who's still a close friend of mine uh, at Providence. But uh I would say uh, each of those places has a special place in my heart, but Ohio U, I spent six years there. I was in my early 20s to mid-20s, met my wife there, who was a grad student at the time. And so that's probably my favorite place, although you wouldn't think that by where the uh, some of the other places I coached, Big East, Big Ten. But I yeah. got my start in Athens, Ohio, so I have, I have fond memories. Well, and you better, in case your wife listens to this, you better mention that that was the highlight since that's where you met her. Uh, what did yeah. you learn at some of those uh, assistant positions that you took with you as a head coach? Well, everything, you know, what you do as a young coach and I try to, in my situation now, David, I do a lot of mentoring, you know, um, I, I call wisdom a collection of uh, a lot of failures and some successes, you know, that's, that's, so I pass on a lot of wisdom. I think I hope to young coaches. And uh, the thing I learned from each of those guys was that to be your own person, um, I knew I knew I wanted to be a basketball coach, as I mentioned, from a very early age. So, you know, I took a little bit of the things from each of those coaches, you know, and I think of it, Danny Neeb, uh, Gary Williams, Rick Barnes, all highly successful. Um, I, I took a lot of the good things that I thought would fit my personality. And then there were certain things that just didn't fit me, you know, um, but Danny taught me the value of organization and detail and uh and competitiveness for sure. Um, Gary Williams added to that competitiveness, the most competitive guy I've ever been around in my life. And then, and then Rick Barnes, who's still going strong at Tennessee. Uh, it's amazing. I think Rick's probably 67 now. And he still reminds me of the 35 year old guy I met, or even earlier, I met Rick in 19. Gosh, I met Rick 40 years ago. How about that? 41 years ago. So I met Rick when he was 26. Um, you know, Rick was just as competitive as both of those guys, but has a way about them that players like being around them and playing for them. So I, I think what you do as a young coach is you cannot be somebody else. Yeah. You have, you have to be your own personality, but you can certainly utilize the, the, the tools that you see those guys implement 
and figure out whether they fit your style and philosophy. And I did that. Now, you were a successful head coach. A lot of coaches go into broadcasting when their coaching career is done, whether by choice yeah. or not. But you yeah. had a successful career. Why did you make that move when you did in your early 40s? Family, family. You know, uh, New Mexico was the last place I coached. We went to three postseasons in a row. It came after a really interesting situation. Dave Bliss left to go to Baylor. And of course, you know, we know what happened there, unfortunately. Right. When, I, when I got to New Mexico, quite frankly, and I don't mean this as a net, because we knew Dave. My wife went to SMU and Dave was highly successful there. But I inherited a program that had just lost a first round pick, Kenny Thomas. Um, we had a GPA that had to be under one, honestly. And so um, the three years was really difficult. We got the program back on good footing. Um, and uh, I, both my athletic director and I, who I still remain really good friends with, said, you know, New Mexico is not for you. Uh, it's a different lifestyle. Ironically, I live five hours north now in Colorado Springs. But um, I had a chance to go to TV right away. And I said, I'm going to, you know, I had a chance to go to ESPN, partly because when I was coaching in New York at St. John's, I got to do a lot of media, right. which is natural. You know, you live there. And so I took to the camera fairly easily, I think. And um, so I told my wife, let's move to Dallas, where her family was from. I'll do TV for a couple of years. My boys were nine and six at the time. And then I'll go back to coaching. You know, I'll take a break, a halftime break, as I would call it. And, um, you know, it's the old Godfather line. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. And every time I thought I was going to take a coaching job, um, I, I said to myself, um, don't mess with happy. Yeah. Uh, I was home. I was watching my kids grow up. Both of those guys are coaching right now, one in college, one in the NBA. And I got a chance to continue to fulfill my love of basketball through broadcasting and got to watch my boys grow up. So I, I made a life, lifestyle decision that looking back on, I would not change a single thing. And keep in mind, I came up in an era with Bill Self, Tom Izzo, Tom Crean, uh, John Calipari and I have known each other since working uh, Dean Smith's basketball camp in 1978 as college sophomores. Uh, and all those guys, most of them are in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I was pretty good coach, too, you know, but I just happened to choose a different lifestyle. Um, for me, that was best for my family. And it's worked out great. I asked the question because I thought people would want to know. I did not know the answer. I, that's one of the best answers. I've done more than 100 of these uh, interviews for the podcast. That may be one of the best answers I've ever had. Somebody who was successful in a yeah. high-profile position, had the accolades come in their way, and willingly gave that up for family. So uh, just as a personal yeah. note, Coach, I appreciate that very much, and I applaud you for that decision, not only to make that decision, but to stick with it when you had other opportunities. Yeah. That being said, what, what do you miss most about coaching? Teaching the game. I mean, what I do on TV now is uh, I, I tell stories because I have so many in my head yeah. uh, that relate to, you know, Ramil, uh, I mean, Russell Robinson from Rice High School, former Jayhawk star, uh, you know, uh, Bill Self, when I stayed at his house back in 19, what was it, 98, when he was coaching at Tulsa and I came through there and watched practice, you know, I got all these stories uh, uh, because I've, I've had his lifelong love of the game and the history of the game, as I mentioned. Uh, love talking about John McClendon, for example, who was in the yeah. news last year. You know, Coach Mack was a hero of mine. I got a chance to meet him later in his life. Yeah, me too. Well, That's great. Yeah. 
a great man. Um, but teaching, I love the game. I love teaching the game. I still teach it. I teach it on Twitter. Um, I put out videos for coaches to, uh, you know, to expand their horizons. I'm a gross, I'm a growth mindset guy. You know, I'm always looking for ways to, I've learned something about basketball, David, every single week of the, of my life. And I'm not even coaching anymore. And when I learn something new that I think is a, you know, something that a coach could value, I pass it on, pass it on at clinics, pass it on at, uh, on Twitter. So I do miss the teaching part. I miss being out on the court and explaining something in a way that even my slowest learner, sometimes your best player says, aha, I got it. Thanks coach. I got that. I, I figured that out. Yeah. And so I, I try to do that on TV all the time. I explain the game to somebody at home who doesn't know as much as I do, but in a way they could have that aha moment and, and, uh, and appreciate the, you know, the beauty of the game. That leads to the obvious follow-up. What do you miss least about coaching? Well, I think when I left New Mexico, I was burnt out on the recruiting. Um, I would not to not to denigrate. It's a beautiful place. It's a great place, but we had inherited some NCAA violations, which made it harder for us to recruit. And the recruiting at a place like that is hard because uh, nobody grows up wanting to go to New Mexico and play. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just the way yeah. it is. And uh, so I, I got burnt out on the recruiting because I loved recruiting, but. Again, I thought I would recharge my batteries after a year or two in TV and be ready to go again. And every time, it, probably the first seven or eight, nine years of, of my TV career, because of my age, I, I got calls, especially from back east, from athletic directors and schools asking if I was interested in you know coaching. And every time I got close, I said, nah, I don't want to go back. And that recruiting stuff is that, that got old. You know, I got a good job. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and honestly, you know, I, I, I'm going to say it bluntly because what's ESPN going to say, but I don't really work for a living. I mean, I talk basketball, you know, yeah. and, and I don't really work. I mean, uh, I'm always prepared. They never have to worry about that. Uh, uh, I love what I do. I love meeting people and traveling, looking forward to getting back on the road this year. But um, I, I, uh, I like what I do. So again, I missed the other side. I didn't miss the recruiting grind. And every time I thought about going back, I was like, nah, I think I can do it out the recruiting stuff. Now, I'm not trying to be your career advisor, and I'm glad that, you, that you're <laughs> locked in with, you know, with the broadcasting, because I always yeah. enjoy I enjoy Big Mondays, because I know probably you're going to be uh, on the call. Um, not always, not always, but uh, that's, that's another But often, story. yeah. Yeah, but most of What have you learned in the last 20 or so years that would help you if you got back into coaching? Oh. Oh man, it's some, you know, it's a great question. I mean, uh, everything. I mean, I, now I did a lot of things well that would stay the same. Like my, my attention to detail uh, and my competitiveness in practice, creating a practice environment where the players were pushed hard, knew they were getting better. Um, that there's certain things that wouldn't change, but uh, I, I think honestly, um, the ability to relate to a player without yelling at them, Honestly, you know, the old days, we all came up with coaches who were, you know, demanding yeller screamer types. Yeah. I, I was like that at times. Uh, there are still coaches who successfully coach that way. But even those guys have had to adjust the their style. Um, you know, um, teaching is different than verbal abuse. You know, I mean, nobody needs yeah. to be attacked personally. 
Yeah. Okay. I can attack your action. Um, I, I can attack the entire team just to make a point to one guy. Yeah. But attacking somebody's family heritage is out the window. You know, that's, and I, and I tell coaches that all the time, you know, these, these are young people that um, don't forget, you know, when they're, when they're verbally attacked, they, they might, you might apologize to them or they might go coach. I'm fine. I'm fine. But they don't forget that. I mean, it's just human nature. So I think there's a way to coach competitively now. And I've seen it. Um, I've watched a lot of practices. There's what, you know, like my son, James played for Lon Kruger, David. He did not use a swear word at any time in James's four years at Oklahoma. And if you know Lon Kruger, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Lon's one of my closest friends. Just so, one of the, yeah. yeah. You one know what I'm talking guys. About. Yeah. yeah. And a great coach. And obviously a guy, I think you'd agree, one of the most competitive people to ever coach college basketball. Yeah. And, and yet could do it in a way that you would want your son or daughter to play for him because you know, he's going to grow up as a man, not just as a player. So there are things like that, that you learn through the years, just, you know, because you, you see it. And I, yeah. and I pass that on when I see it. My favorite Lon Kruger story, and I've got a bunch. He and I yeah. have known each other for uh, well over 30 years, and, and I consider him a very close friend. The very last game at a Hearn Field House, yeah. uh, K-State was playing against Missouri, and uh, <laughs> you know where this is going. Uh, yeah, Coach, I'm, I'm, Coach, Stewart. Coach Stewart is a good friend. so I, Yeah, he's a good I'm guy. Good, but he was a good man. Yeah. He, was, he used the intimidation factor <laughs> during the game, and he was he was getting towards that coaches, getting towards the midcourt strike yeah, and was intimidating the official. Yeah. And Lon got up and <laughs> just, and he got in his face and basically said, I wasn't, I was up in the press box, which was hanging from the rafters. Sure. Uh, as you saw when you visited a Hearn. Yep. I couldn't hear what Lon said, but he basically <laughs> said, not in my house. Yep. Lon was, and still is very, very competitive, but he did it yeah. with such, such class. And I talked to Norm after that. And I yeah, said, yeah. what did Lon say to you? And he just <laughs> chuckled. He goes, that kid's going somewhere. So this was, oh, you know, I mean, he started at Texas Pan American. K-State was his second second stop. So he went on to, to great success after yeah. that. Uh, yeah. So do I understand what you're saying. And I, I think that's I think that's great. Let me, let me switch gears here a little bit. Uh, I see that today we're talking to you uh, in, the re- in the seats at the Palestra. Yeah, uh, but earlier in our talk before we started the recording, you were at Allen Fieldhouse. Yes, and, my Zoom backgrounds. Yeah, and you, and you've also you, you mentioned you had uh, one other one. Yeah, I had a few. I think I have the one from Wells Fargo. I have a younger son, Matt, who coaches at Villanova. Okay. And what I do is I just take him off my my photos and I stick him on yeah. a Zoom. When you had one at you had one at West Virginia. Yeah, so, right. and we yeah. and we had this discussion before we started the recording. What are some of your favorite arenas, either to coach in yeah. or to broadcast in? Well, the Plester is a Plester. Well, let's start with Allen Fieldhouse, okay? Because uh, on occasion, because I have fun on Twitter, and I do so many Kansas games, and Bill Self is such a close friend that there are times when even Jayhawk fans think I don't like the Jayhawks. You know, I have fun with that. You know, because I have to. I have to represent twelve, uh, 10 schools. Yeah. If I'm doing the big 12 and I'm doing, and I'm the main guy, a particularly big 12 tournament. Right. And mo- many, many big 12 games, uh, Dick and Jay take quite a few, especially when Duke and Carolina are not very good uh, like last year, but for the most part, most of my big games are big 12 games. 
Yeah. Um, I'm the big 12 guy. I'm not the Kansas. You know, I, I always tell Greg Gurley, um, when they get rid of you, I'll be the KU announcer. But until then, I've got to represent uh, ESPN and cover the entire league. So having said that, David, Allen Fieldhouse by far, it, I would say by a considerable distance is the number one place that I love to watch college basketball. Um, it's historic. It's it's ultimately historic. I mean, come on, with Fog Allen and Dr. Naismith. But it's uh, the, the fans, the Kansas fans are extremely knowledgeable about, about the game that they kind of invented. And uh, it's just an amazing place. Yeah. And, and that's why I think that's number one to me. Now, I will tell you that Hilton Coliseum, when the Cyclones are good, whether it's the Johnny Orr days or Freddie Hoiberg and Steve Prohm's great teams, um, a close second. Yeah. And it's a big game, especially when KU comes in. Um, yeah. But when George Niang and Monty Morris were playing, that was as good a place as there was in, in America. Again, because of great fans and uh, not the same history, but a similar history for a love of their team, let's just say. Well, and as I shared with you before we started the reporting, the morning after I saw my first game at a Hearn Fieldhouse yeah. at K-State, I cut myself shaving and it was purple. And yeah. even with that background, I will tell you that I agree with you that Allen Fieldhouse is the best atmosphere in college exactly. basketball. And I've seen games, I've seen games all over. And I kind of, I, I kind of laughed. You hesitated just for a second. You said you're covering Big Twelve. You have to represent the other. Did you check yeah. Twitter to see how many uh, teams were currently in the Big Twelve? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ten now, going to fourteen. And by the way. I, uh, you know, from a basketball standpoint, I hate to say it this way, but uh, it's an upgrade. Um, yeah, and no, yeah. no disrespect to Texas and Oklahoma. Rick Barnes coached at Texas forever where I, you know, where I obviously I know Rick well. I told you that. But um, and Lon did a great job at OU. But I can't tell you how many games I did in those places where uh, a, a game between two ranked teams didn't sell out. Yeah. And so, you know, with Marriott Center, BYU, 20,000, Cincinnati, Houston now with Kelvin Sampson, in some ways, I think it's an upgrade. I know Texas and OU fans might not like saying that, but I mean, Blake Griffin in there and they didn't sell out. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, uh, Lloyd Noble. My son played there. So I, I witnessed a lot of games where I go, man, I can't believe there's not 12,000 in here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, where is, what's your favorite, speaking of favorites, yeah. uh, what is your favorite place to scout international players? Because you've become an expert yeah. in international basketball. Well, I've been all over the world, luckily, because of because of this great game. Um, but I spent 12 straight Junes in essentially Venice, Italy, uh, working at what is the uh, equivalent of the international of the NBA's international combine. The, the NBA combine for the college kids is in Chicago. But we had a camp over in Venice, Italy, actually a place called Treviso, 20 miles outside of Venice, a cool little town of a city of 500,000 people. And I made 12 straight visits to Venice and didn't have to pay for it. And, uh, and the reason it's so familiar to me was I coat, I not only was covering it for ESPN uh, by this time I was doing the NBA draft, but I also was coaching at the camp and we had 80 kids drafted in 12 years and probably 30 of them are still in the NBA uh, moving on to the middle and late part of their career but great memories because it was all NBA people, a lot of NBA friends. Um, I was the only non-NBA guy coaching at the camp. 
So that was cool. And uh, it gave me great credibility on TV when I did the draft because I literally knew these kids uh, and in many cases coached them at the camp and would even ask them, like, how do you pronounce your name? Because we would get the pronunciation guide from the NBA. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's uh, <laughs> it's Mikhailuk, not Mikhailuk, Mikhailuk. Uh, and I took Russian in college, by the way. So I asked uh, Svi once how he said his name and I got it right. And K KU fans were like, Fran's saying his name wrong. And I'm like, no. I asked, <laughs> I, I asked V him, I asked V, say, say your name for me, Mikhailuk. So, uh, but that place particularly, but I've been lucky. I've spoken in places like Greece, Spain, France, Iceland, uh, been to China to watch the Shanghai Sharks play. Um, I've had a, I've had a, you know, I've had a fun run with basketball internationally. It, you know, I, we just got through a couple of months ago watching you with, with the uh, Olympics. Yes. And you, you knew the other teams as well as most fans knew the USA team, you yes. know, who was, who was playing in what club in Europe or uh, you know, who had a chance to be an NBA draft pick, stuff like yes. that. How much time do you spend studying the international game? You know, it's all a compilation of things I do on a daily basis. Like I, you know, yesterday uh, I was watching some of the early uh, most of the, most of the international teams right now are in preseason but they're playing their games and their exhibition games. And so I watched uh, 30 minutes yesterday of, of two prospects for next year's draft. And uh, that's all, you know, my wife's out of town, as I mentioned, going to visit Matt in Philly. And uh, so um, I watched the uh, hood. I watched, I watched Purdue a little bit, you know, they've got a good team coming back this year. I watched uh, a young man by the name of Travion Williams who's the best offensive rebounder in college hoops returning this year. But I, I spent 30 minutes watching a little international tape and it's all part. It's osmosis for me. Yeah, David. it really is. It's 12 months a year. I'm like I told you, I don't work for a living. Uh, the minute ESPN doesn't renew my contract, um, which hopefully won't be for a while, I'll still be doing basketball every day and I'll still be broadcasting somewhere. By the way, not a lot of people know this, but um, Adam Sandler has a movie coming out in March on on uh, international basketball. All I will tell you is I can't give anything away, but stay tuned. Yeah. You have a role. Stay tuned. I can't say anything, <laughs> but that's again, good. again, it's a lot because of the brand I built up. Yeah. I go through an airport right now and I actually haven't done the draft in two years for ESPN. I still do uh, my Sirius XM radio. I'm their draft expert and I do a lot of other stuff, but I still walk through an airport and, more often than not, the first thing people want to ask me about is not the Big 12, but international basketball or, you know, Giannis. You know, when I watched Giannis when he was 18. Uh, I once said about a player he was two years away from being two years away, and that thing stuck. Probably, <laughs> it's, a, it's on my it's going to be on my tombstone for sure. Yeah. So I get more interest from people asking me about international hoops than even a Big 12. It It's funny. You. you <laughs> I, the Royals have a pitcher and I cover baseball uh, and college football and soccer as well as, as yeah, basketball yeah. Um, Royals have a pitcher who came out of the, came out of a game kind of grabbing his arm and, and I, I I'm not going to say his name. And so I'm not going to say the injury. So I yeah. don't want to give it away because I don't want the kid to get in trouble. Um, but I saw him in the dugout. He was put on the disabled list or yeah. the injured list now. Um, 
And I saw him a couple of weeks later in the dugout and I asked him how he was doing. He goes, Oh, I feel great. I said, uh, so are, are you going to start a rehab assignment? He goes, no, I don't, I don't know. And, and I said, when do you expect to be back? He goes, well, I'm not sure. And I said, are you shut down for the year? And he goes, um, well, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say, <laughs> I said, Oh, great. You just confirmed. I can't use it as a quote, but you just confirmed it. So look in March for Fran for appearance in Adam Sandler's movie, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> can't say. Can't say. Um, <laughs> basketball is second only to soccer in popularity in the world. I yeah. think that is fair to say. I've been in yeah. Singapore and in Poland a couple of different times during NBA playoffs and people there follow the game. Do you think it will continue to grow in popularity worldwide? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's two factors here. The, the, the one obvious one is 1992, right? Barcelona, the dream team. Yeah. And uh, Pau Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki, and so many others have said that that was the impetus for them dreaming about maybe they could play in the NBA when they saw these great players play in the Olympics. And the other thing that happened, David, that I talk about a lot, and it's not brought up a lot, is uh, because I've been overseas to coaching clinics and spoken at them, they don't really need Americans to come over there anymore and teach the yes. game. because. What happened was 50 years ago, guys like UB Brown, Chuck Daly, Dr. Jack Ramsey, more recently, Bob McKillop is a big name, Dean Smith. They went over and taught basketball to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is teaching it back to us now. Yeah. And, and now when you watch the NBA or college, even things that Bill Self will be running on offense, for example, will be things that maybe he picked up along the way, maybe from an NBA team that picked it up from a team in Europe. So the, the, the globe has shrunk. And to answer your question succinctly, 25% of the NBA this year was roughly was born outside of the United States. Wow. So the game, you know, and by the way, three of the top five players in the NBA this year, first team all NBA were born in Serbia, Greece, and Slovenia. And so, yes, I don't, I don't know if it's ever going to overcome soccer, but basketball around the world is growing. They love basketball in the Philippines. They love it in China. It's the most popular sport in China. Uh, 400 million Chinese basketball fans, more people than live in the United States. So, yeah, it's growing. It's growing in South America. And, again, it's not going to be soccer anytime soon, but it's second most popular sport on the planet right now. Yeah, that was that was my next question. Would it, would it pass? Um, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Let me, let me wrap up with a couple of things, Coach. How long do you see yourself doing what you're doing now? You know, studying the international game, yeah. basically living life talking about basketball. It's not stopping. Honestly, this has been a lifelong love of mine since I was 13. And again, I have this growth mindset of trying to learn every day. People always say, how do you prepare for a Kansas-Iowa uh, State game? And I'm, I don't know how to explain it to them. It's like, 12 months a year. I'm, yeah. I'm reading about boot camp right now, you know, at KU, the fame boot camp, their conditioning program in September. So I, I as long as I'm healthy and uh, I am, I just lost 18 pounds, by the way, over the last four months. Uh, I, thank you, Maggie. I feel good. And I, I, you know, I'm ready to get back on the road with, hopefully we'll do more travel this year, but no, I, as long as I'm healthy and again, ESPN, uh, you know, it's, it's up to them too. Although I will be doing this 
I will be broadcasting as long as I'm healthy, as long as I can do it. Um, but um, I, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. I, I look at Dick Vitale, who's just an amazing guy. And I think Dick's probably 82 or 83. I'm not even sure. I can't even tell because he's acting like he's 23. Yeah. But I'd, I'd love to have Dick's enthusiasm. You know what I mean? And um, and I do. I do. I mean, I, I just this is the game. This is a sport and a passion of mine for, let's see, uh, hell, 50 years now. So I don't I'm not changing anytime soon. As I mentioned, I got two sons who saw that their dad, who I spent a lot of time with, I told you, because I left coaching. They saw their dad had a cool job. He didn't really work for a living. Yeah. So I got I got a son, you know, at Villanova and a son in, in, with the Orlando Magic. And uh, I don't think that would have happened if A, I wasn't home a lot with them, which I was. And B, they didn't see this daily passion of mine for the game. So I don't plan on doing anything different anytime soon. It, you know, you talked about your preparation and what came to mind is, you know, how, how do you prepare for KU at Iowa State? It's yeah. the, the similar question was, how do you remember your kids' names? It's just part of life. I mean, you don't have Breathing. to, you don't have to do anything different to prepare for that game. You're prepared for it. We're, we're talking now in mid-September, you're prepared for KU's visit yeah. to Ames in January or February right now. You're just going to get more prepared. I am. I'm, you know, preparing basketball, prepare, you know, basketball is like breathing for me. Now, listen, I'm in the playground of life. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot more important <laughs> things going on in the world. We know yeah. that. But for me personally, I've actually been able to use my love of the game. And I mentioned being a mentor now. Um, I, I spend a lot of my time on the phone with young coaches, men and women. Uh, you know, we're in a we're in a move right now to to really try to increase the amount of minority coaches uh, in our sport. I think it's important. So I, I kind of see myself still sharing and passing on my love of the game to others and helping where I can. And if that's my lot in life and just being a good husband and father and a good, you know, Christian guy, then that's what the man upstairs has planned for me, you know, but I also don't take it that seriously. You know, I'm not, you know, we're not solving the COVID vaccine, you know, uh, yeah. a virus. And um, there's a lot more on the important things. But where I am in my life with this game, uh, I'm blessed. I am yeah. blessed. And I don't say that lightly. I've had a great life so far. Uh, Joe Lenardi says you can take your job seriously without taking yourself seriously. Totally. Totally. That's, that's probably a great way to put it. I'm, I'm, I know how lucky I am to be doing what I'm doing. You know, when I was coaching, I'd have fr friends and people come up to me and say, oh, I wish I was doing what you were doing. And I used to say to myself, no, you don't. You have no idea how stressful this is. You know, now when they say, oh, you work at ESPN, I'd love to have a job like yours. I say to myself, you're right. <laughs> <'Cause I'm not laughs> working. You're right. Because they're paying me to travel. They're not paying me to sit courtside. Uh, they're just paying me to get there. But in point of fact, and I don't want to denigrate what I do, I say this humbly. I don't think anybody prepares like I do, honestly. And, and we have great announcers. I'm not saying I'm better than them. But they'll never get rid of me at ESPN for not being prepared or not having a love of the game and a passion for the game. They may make a change. I'm always, I always tell my wife every year, I say, get ready for, Hey, listen, we're going to go in a different direction and we love what yeah. you, thanks for your contribution. I've been ready for that for uh, 19 years. That's how long I've been at ESPN. In the meantime, what they're going to get from me is somebody with passion, enthusiasm and preparation. All right. I always wrap up with these two 
two questions uh, and and good transition from your last comment. Your your passion is your family. Talk about your family, your wife, your sons, what, yeah. what they're doing. 33 years, uh, this uh, August 12th, you know, uh, my wife has been the rock of the family. She, uh, we met in grad, she was in grad school at Ohio U. They, uh, Ohio U had the the best earliest sports administration master's right. program. Right. And so I remember. She, she was a graduate, 85 graduate. We, I knew, I knew at Ohio U I was going to meet somebody who loved sports like me. And, and, and that sports ad program was a great place. It was a great dating service for me for the first there couple of years until I met uh, Meg. And uh, so 33 years, she's helped me raise two great, I've helped her raise two great boys. Um, you know, both of them, uh, uh, Matt's the idiot because he played at Harvard and he should be on Wall Street making millions. But <laughs> he, he's at Villanova with an MBA, the video coordinator for Jay Wright. He's got a ring. And James is with the Orlando Magic. And uh, uh, it's cool because um, those two guys, along with my wife, are my best friends. You yeah. know, I, I once had a guy, I, I don't know if you ever know the name Dutch Bachman. Dutch was, uh, he was the, uh, he was an athletic, he, he coached for Woody Hayes at oh, Ohio okay. State. And and Dutch then later became the athletic director at Oregon State. And he he later became the director of the Division One Athletic Directors Association. And he once told me when my kids were in their early teens, people are going to tell you, you're going to lose your boys. Don't believe it. Like when they get to be adults. Don't believe it. And I'd always stayed in my mind. And uh, about three weeks ago, my son James came and visited us here in Colorado Springs. And I, 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 I live in a beautiful place called the Broadmoor and uh, I'm a member of the golf club there. And I'm not very good, by the way, but I, I played five straight days with my 29 year old son. And that's, that means five hours a day in a golf cart with a, yeah. with an adult grown up son. And, uh, that's kind of relationship I want to have with my boys, you know, till that's why I stay healthy. I want to watch them grow up. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, we're, we're blessed. We have a great family. Uh, my wife's in Philly now because Matt bought a house and it's a fixer upper. So she's helping him fix it up because it's basketball season at Villanova in September. They've got a big recruiting visit, but she's home hanging. She's in his house, hanging pictures. And that's kind of family we've had. And uh, my wife's been uh, kind of the backbone of any coaching family that that is very common. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the early stages of working on a book about pro football hall of famers yeah. from the perspective of their wives and the tentative title is behind every good man. And yeah. so I think that fits coaching as well. Uh, are either of your boys married? Do you have any grandkids? No, not yet. No, nope. well, we got, we, we got a possibility of one coming up. We're recruiting her hard, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh no, you know, that like me, like I, I think I got married right as I turned 30 and uh, I was so into my career for a while. And then Meg came along and the rest is history. But uh, not yet. But, um, you know, hopefully there'll be hopefully I can model for them what a good father and husband is. And uh, I'm one of the best vacation planners on the planet. <laughs> We've had amazing vacations through the year. So what I used to do with them when they were younger, and I still do it, I'd say, remember now, when you have a family, you got to have great vacations too. Don't forget this. Like I took my son to the baseball, Matt went to the baseball all-star game in Houston one year. And as we're driving down from Dallas to Houston, I said, you got to do this for your son someday. And he's eight years old. Yeah. But you're just trying to put that into their head. Like, this is how you, this is how you become a fun. This is how you become a good dad. Hopefully. Yeah, it hasn't been you know, smooth sailing all the way, but for the most part, um, I, I have I would not change a thing about 
uh, my wife and my family and the coaching because I had a chance to be a, you know, uh, be around my boys and my wife quite a bit. All right. I wrap up with this with everybody. You can interpret the question however you want. You can answer it however you want. Yeah. What's your legacy? Oh man. I, I honestly think it's just being a good father and husband. I think it, I think it boils down to that. I mean, I've done some amazing things in my life because of the sport of basketball, travel places. I never thought I would travel, even, even, even made a movie, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, lots of cool things, lots of amazing, cool things. Um, but I think my legacy is going to be, was he a good husband and father? And does that feel, you know, cause if I pass that on to my sons to be good husbands and fathers, they'll pass it down to their sons. And then, They'll always remember their dad. I, I told my son, Matt, I said, you're going to be in the basketball hall of fame someday. I probably won't be there for it, but I just want you to remember me, you know, and uh, if I live to 90, maybe, but, uh, but I just want those guys to know what it's like to be a good father and husband. And uh, the basketball is taking care of itself. I, I don't care. Man. I've, I've had some big wins, some eight post seasons in nine years. I did some cool stuff and traveled the world, but that's probably what I'm hopefully most proudest of to this point. Yeah. Well, great answer. Great way to, to wrap it up. Coach, it's always good to connect with you. Uh, will I see you at Big 12 Media Day next month? Absolutely. You'll see All me. Right. We'll, we'll definitely, definitely hook up then. Maybe we'll yeah. go get some barbecue or something. That's so, a deal. I, I appreciate you joining me and uh, have fun getting ready for the next college basketball season. Will do. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.